Good afternoon. Welcome to our virtual event, Fearless Thinking in an Age of Conformity. I'm Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal, and I'm excited to talk today with Heather McDonald, the Thomas W. Smith Fellow at the Manhattan Institute. Our country is in the midst of a cultural crisis. Protests over police shootings have led to civil unrest and calls from activists, academics, and celebrities and journalists to defund police departments. Social media companies and the mainstream press are increasingly unwilling to give a fair hearing to arguments that they disagree with. In this atmosphere, free and fearless thinking is especially valuable. Heather McDonald has carried that standard in City Journal's pages and beyond. She's criticized the pernicious argument that key American institutions, including the nation's police departments, are irredeemably racist. Her essay in the summer issue of City Journal Conformity to a Lie, identified elite academic institutions as a source of this argument in places of stifling intellectual conformity. This conformity is not confined to college campuses, however, as Heather recently discovered when a talk she delivered defending law enforcement was pulled from YouTube, only to be restored under age-appropriate content restrictions. In short, Heather McDonald's been doing invaluable work, and again, we're glad to have the opportunity to talk about it with her today. Now, throughout the conversation, please feel free to submit your questions on whatever platform you're watching us on, and we'll try to work in as many uh, as feasible. So, Heather, thanks very much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Brian. It's an honor to be with you. Now, in your essay, which I just mentioned for City Journal's summer issue, you detail the academic response to the death at police hands of George Floyd in Minneapolis in late May, an awful incident that has set off months of urban protests, many of which have become extremely violent. How has higher education addressed this period of crisis in American history? It's approached the crisis with a combination of utterly unhinged rhetoric, Brian, and very dangerous plans. College presidents competed to issue the most sweeping indictment they could possibly muster of the American polity and the American people, claiming that blacks are everywhere uh, and at all times under lethal threat of their lives. Let me give you a few examples, just briefly. Uh, Ted Ruger, who is the dean of the University of Pennsylvania Law School, uh, immediately announced that we are again reminded that this country's 400 year history of racism continues to produce a clear and present danger to the bodies and lives of black people in every part of the US. Now, astute listeners will hear in this uh, echoes of Ta-Nehisi Coates, probably the most, most read author on an American campus today. Uh, Amherst College president announced that virulent anti-black racism has never not been obvious and yet there are some people who continue to deny it. The chancellor of University of California at Los Angeles, uh, Eugene Block, announced that racism permeates every sector of society. Now, it would be a mistake, Brian, to sort of brush this off as mere boilerplate. College presidents have enormous authority. They, they set the intellectual tone for our country and they're supposed to represent our best effort at truth and disinterested knowledge, not political partisanship. These are highly partisan statements. They better damn well have empirical evidence to back up such 
utterly delegitimating claims about the American polity, I have argued that they do not. Uh, as far as the plans that are rolling out at record rates, I'm sent them on a daily basis by various people out in the academic world. Uh, what we're seeing happening now is the rollout of a total revision of the curriculum. College after college is, de is declaring that its very raison d'etre is to function as an anti-racist institution. How that overlaps with its mission to preserve and, and pass on our cultural inheritance or to generate new knowledge is a mystery to me. We have plans to inject issues of racial identity throughout the curriculum, the humanities, social sciences, and the sciences. We have more pledges built on decades of pledges to hire by quota, uh, to cast aside meritocratic standards and, and hire for professorships uh, on the basis of skin color. Why does this matter, Brian? Because uh, this stuff doesn't stay put. It leaks into the world at large. I would argue that the horrible, horrible anarchy, the riots that we've seen uh, over this summer of, of tragedy have been inspired in very large part by this sweeping academic indictment of the, of the American polity. Yet, wouldn't you assume that America's colleges, um, the campuses, are already places of, of tolerance? Uh, you know, what was the point, really, of spending millions and millions and millions of dollars on diversity initiatives uh, if college administrators are now suggesting that that previous work apparently had no real impact and that universities, of all places, are still hotbeds of bigotry? Well, first of all, it is ludicrous. Uh, I have heard from so many students as I speak on college campuses before they before they walk out or or, or surround me uh, that they are at threat of their lives from circumambient racism and sexism. There could not be anything that is further from the truth. Colleges are the most tolerant institution in human history, at least towards society's traditionally marginalized groups. We'll leave aside the the plight of conservative students. Uh, so the idea that there is any need for anti-racism measures is absurd. Uh, the point of it is to virtue signal, but there is a further uh, paradox, Brian. These, these college presidents get up and they beat their chest and say, I apologize, I apologize for my racist institution. Well, they should name some names. Who are the faculty that are discriminating against black students or against female students because females are just as, as uh, energetic in adopting the victim mantle? Uh, because it, it is, a, is, is confers enormous power and prestige. Uh, but if these college presidents are so convinced that their institutions are, are places of racism where students need allies, if you're black or, or female, you need an ally to survive, uh, why haven't they changed their admissions policies? Why haven't they gotten rid of these professors? And why don't they issue a warning to black students or to female students that you're entering a, a scene of, of utterly lethal uh, bigotry. And of course, the reason they don't be because they know that is a lie. And that this is all part of this very bizarre charade that the country's elites are involved in, in which elite whites uh, flagellate themselves for phantom racism. This is unprecedented in, in human history to have this degree of self-hatred. Uh, we're learning that the anti-racism ideology 
isn't just limited to the humanities. He mentioned it's it's extending into other academic areas as well. This this mindset is entering the sciences in in your experience. Oh, absolutely. Uh, thanks to the national government. Uh, here's what Trump should do. You know, he's reamed out the the the. Uh, anti-whiteness training. He should ream out, more importantly, all the federal tax dollars that are pouring into science departments to fight intersectionality and engineering. The engineering school at the University of California, San Diego, uh, this summer announced that it was going to become uh, an anti-racist organization. Well, what anti-racism has to do with uh, developing new nanotechnologies or, or understanding uh, some of the engineering challenges of, 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 of vaccines and viruses is an utter mystery. Uh, but science, Harvard science uh, dean recently announced that he would be upping the number of black scientists hired. None of this has anything to do with our ability to solve the medical problems that face us. And yet the National Science Foundation, the National Institutes of Health are funding diversity and intersectionality uh, initiatives in, in Alzheimer's research on the theory that the only good science is diverse science. So, uh, you, and you also have campuses throughout the University of California that won't even look at a scientist who's applying for a job if his statement announcing his commitment to diversity is not sufficiently effusive. That scientist won't get through the first cut. I'm not sure that Albert Einstein would get hired today at the University of California and many other colleges because he, oddly, for a scientist, was absolutely obsessed with his pursuit of truth uh, and was not going to distract himself uh, from a, with a sort of pseudo-specious politics. But there's very few places today where he would get hired without having to jump through at least a whole set of diversity hoops. You spend a lot of time on campuses giving talks, sometimes controversially so. Uh, what's your what's your feel for how this this kind of blanket ideology, in a way, is is affecting students? How are students responding to these claims that the universities are hotbeds of bigotry and racism? Well, I would, I would identify two polls, uh, Brian, the ones who are the true believers who have gone out now to colonize the HR departments of corporations to colonize their very interstices. Uh, Google, the big tech companies are, are one big college campus writ large in Silicon Valley. Uh, and those who are demanding and protesting with the absolute encouragement of, of uh, college administrators and many faculty uh, proclaiming their victimhood. Uh, but then there are the students who are cynical about this and who uh, don't necessarily buy into it, but they are terrified. There is an enormous amount of self-censorship happening on the part of both students and on the part of faculty. Uh, they, it's the opposite of, if, if you believe that the purpose of higher education is freewheeling, freewheeling discourse and debate of ideas, an idea that I am not fully committed to, I think the real purpose is transmission of knowledge and, and debate of opinion is, is part of that, but, but in some cases tangential. But, but if, if you see universities as primarily 
about the free exchange of ideas, then they are a travesty. They are a, a complete failure in that because uh, students are so terrified. I mean, one thing I noted with extreme alarm uh, over this last year was that several of the nominees to the federal bench that had been put forward by the Trump administration either saw their nominations sidelined entirely, derailed entirely, or had a very, very hard time getting through because of undergraduate writing in conservative student newspapers. A, a nominee for the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in the Western states, Ryan Bounds, as a Stanford undergraduate, had written some sardonic essays about Stanford's obsession with identity politics and multiculturalism. Well, his nomination was torpedoed, thanks, unfortunately, I'm sad to say, uh, to, by, uh, by Tim Scott, the Senator Tim Scott, with the assist from Marco Rubio. Uh, and then another nominee, Naomi Rao, barely squeaked on because as a Yale undergraduate, she had written some undergraduate essays in their conservative, Yale's conservative student paper, uh, disputing the idea that there's an epidemic of campus rape. Well, those were essays written in the 1990s by undergraduates who, which had the effect of, of torpedoing judicial nominations. Any undergraduate today thinking of challenging campus orthodoxies who is aware of the current climate of hostility and suppression would be frankly reckless to speak out against this because given social media you know to get the 99 the, the the early student newspaper things you had to dig through the archives today everything's on the web i fear for the future of of, of conservative uh anti-dogmatic student newspapers of which i have benefited enormously my uh shout down blockade a year or two ago at Claremont McKenna College in Southern California, the only decent coverage of that was from the Claremont uh, Independent, a conservative student newspaper. But as I say, those voices are going to be very few on the ground in the future. Well, maybe that leads into this question. You know, this is uh, not the first period of left wing activism on campus. There was there was an earlier period in the 60s into the 70s, really, that was very pronounced, had political uh, influence in the country. I wonder how these periods compare in your view. They compare because the, the campus radicals in the 1960s did not have a phalanx of thousands of diversity bureaucrats cheering them on, of college presidents kowtowing before them, bending the knee, was weeping in 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 shame at their own racial sins. You now have an utter uh, codependency between these left wing college bureaucrats and these self involved narcissistic students who put on little psychodramas of oppression before an appreciative audience of diversity deanlets and vice chancellors of equity and inclusion uh, that amplify this, that give it institutional credibility in a way that the 60s protests never had. Uh, and, and as I say, the transmission belt into the world at large is much, much faster. Uh, these, I think, are more consequential 
simply because they have been so institutionalized and there is virtually no voice on campus that is pushing back against them. The 60s, there were not enough voices. The faculty we learned back then were largely supine, were largely cowards, and were willing to have uh, administration offices in many, most cases taken over with machine guns. But still, there were some people who fought back. Today, that, that virtually never happens. We have a, a related question from an audience uh, member, uh, Craig Lazera. If you were counseling a high school senior, he asks, looking for a traditional non-woke education, are there any colleges you could recommend? Hillsdale, he says, comes to mind, but are there other institutions that are resisting these trends you're, you're describing? Unfortunately, there are very few. Uh, and obviously, the first that ever always comes to mind is Hillsdale. There are some, I assume, some Catholic colleges out there. I would ordinarily have recommended the St. John's colleges, which are dedicated to a great books tradition. And yet I have heard a rumor, and I have not confirmed this myself, that they have become woke in their education. If that's not true, I apologize to those campuses, uh, but I would do due diligence before sending your child there. I think what we need, uh, you know, I, I have been very reluctant to pull the plug on academia because I, there's nothing I believe in with greater conviction and passion than the, the privilege of studying the great works and of passing our legacy on to students, of, of trying to educate them to understand why they should be down on their knees in gratitude for the sublimity and beauty and humor and irony that is the Western tradition. But after this summer, uh, I've, I've decided it is utterly unredeemable. You know, we've heard, you mentioned, Brian, in the beginning, the uh, defund the police movement. Forget that. That is utterly reckless and will result in, in thousands more black lives being taken. What we have to do is defund academia. Do not give them another cent. Uh, I And the problem is that parents, I've, I heard, I spoke to a, a parent several months ago, this is before the troubles, but, uh, and urging her not to give any more money to Harvard. And she said, I'm sorry, I have to until my child gets in. Uh, that is a very hard thing to break because the, the parents that are desperate for the status and credentials that these colleges can uh, convey uh, are, are very reluctant to to pull the plug on alumni donations, but it has to happen. We have to have creative thinking backed up with, with uh, large philanthropy to create alternative institutions. I would like to see a revival of the 18th century tradition of the private tutor who would take the, the sons and daughters of British aristocracy on the grand tour on the continent uh, to Rome, to, the, to Vienna, uh, and 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 a one that was filled with learning, but there is absolutely no reason to keep these institutions going anymore. They do not deserve it. Well, that's a good article idea, actually. Um, Let's see. Here's here's another audience question, and it gets back to s some of the comments you made earlier. Uh, the audience member says there's been a spate of college-style struggle sessions in non-university settings. 
from the retraction of Tom Cotton's op-ed at the New York Times to the Google employees protesting their company's collaboration with the Defense Department. Uh, do you think university activism risks infecting other institutions? I think you've started to answer that. And if so, uh, which institutions are at the highest risk, do you think, of being infected? It's not a risk, it's a reality. It has happened. Uh, of course, Google, that protest was fueled by college graduates. We have also got to stop the idea that social uplift programs uh, should be measured by the rate of college going. No, 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 no. We have got to decouple this. But every institution, the, the uh, New York Times, the press, it's all college graduates. Uh, these are people who have bearing with them the virus, a virus that is far more dangerous in the long term than the coronavirus ever could be. It is the virus of racial hatred and division based on no facts whatsoever. Uh, the press has been taken over. Government is taken over. Uh, big banks are taken over. You've, we've seen this summer, the, every corporation in the country putting out almost indistinguishable statements about America's endemic racism as if college presidents were, were dictating to them. Uh, when, when Google fired the computer engineer James Damore in August of 2017, or 2018, excuse me, for having written a very moderate 10-page fact-based memo suggesting that it was not discrimination against highly qualified female engineers that was responsible for the fact that Google did not have 50-50 male to female engineering. Uh, and, and James Damore said, it may have something to do with the average career predilections of males and females average. He was talking about distributions. He was not talking about the females at Google. He was talking about the females not at Google and mentioning the fact that females on average, again, I'm not talking about your daughters who will be the next Nobel Prize in physics, I know, but, but on average, females gravitate towards hands-on relational work, males towards abstract ideas-based work. Google fired him for that memo because it said it made females feel unsafe at work. Google CEO Pichai mimicked verbatim the pathetic language of academic victimhood in explaining why he had to fire Google, Demore. But on one of the Google chat boards, somebody posted anonymously the statement, we have to nip this diversity bud thing in the bud, which it's too late, but we have to try and at least retard its march uh, because right now our uh, what Google calls its human resources department, which is its typical googly uh, precious name of people analytics. Uh, people analytics is now just an outpost of women's studies and black studies. And that is true uh, in every major corporation. Uh, that relates to a question asked by Pablo, who's in our audience. Uh, is there any truth to the claims that diverse organizations actually make more money, have greater revenue, or is that a correlation without necessary causation? I am so skeptical. Uh, I have not looked myself at those studies, but I, I simply cannot believe it because at this point, uh, given the academic skills gaps that are vast between whites and Asians on the one hand 
and so-called underrepresented minorities, that, that is blacks and Hispanics on the other, and exist as well to a lesser extent between males and females. Any institution that is affirmatively engineering diversity is doing so by setting aside its color and sex-blind meritocratic standards. There is, uh, it is provable that when you set those standards aside and substitute something else, you are going to get a less qualified workforce. Uh, and, and we've also had counter evidence of research that's come out that says that this anti-white training produces more dissension and more. Of course it does. I mean, of course it does. Uh, you're, you're browbeating people with a false premise that they are all bearers of, of uh, lethal anti-black bias when in fact this country is so ready to be post-racial in my experience, you go across the country, the vast majority of whites are well-meaning. They just want to get along. We want to move beyond this, but we're being browbeaten, bludgeoned into this racial consciousness. So I'm, I'm skeptical of those, those arguments that say diverse things, diverse organizations do better. Uh, and we've also seen, I believe, that the, the social impact funds, uh, that probably also take into account now the gender and, and race ratios on in corporations, they don't outperform others. Uh, and, and we do have evidence as well that all the diversity training backfires. So no, a, a corporation should look exclusively at, at, at merit. It is for other institutions to try to close the academic skills gap. By the time you get to uh, employment, it's simply too late. Here's an audience question from uh, Alita Cass. Uh, given what corporations like Google are doing to employees who speak out, as you just described, can anything be done from a public policy standpoint to restore equitable treatment for employees uh, across the, you know, the ideological spectrum? Boy, that's a tough question. Uh, I know that a friend of mine is suing her school who fired her. She taught at the French Lycée in, in Los Angeles. It fired her for having, in a completely unrelated speech, not on school time, said that we should be grateful for Western civilization. I kid you not, that was the firing offense. She's suing the school under California, a California statute that says that uh, employers cannot discriminate uh, on the basis of political viewpoint. The problem I have, the, the fear I have is that we're creating a precedent uh, and one that you always have to worry what happens if that precedent gets in the hands of the left. So if a corporation, you know, does not want to engage in politics and could it be sued by, say, a Biden administration for not having affirmative outreach for certain leftist points of view or certain diversity hires? So I'm not sure. The, the idea of employment at will, uh, that employers should be able to fire for m most reasons, is also a zone of freedom. So one has to be very careful 
in how you uh, restrict that and, and make sure that you're not setting a precedent that in the wrong hands could have the exact unintended consequences that, that we want to avoid. I, 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 so I wish, I don't, I don't have an answer to that, frankly. And the easy answer would be public shaming. But as the world becomes more and more infused with college graduates, there is no more shame. We're in a race against time. We're in a race against changing demography. Uh, and, you know, things are, are at a very critical, urgent state right now. Uh, and we have not much time remaining to try and preserve the principles of Western civilization, which are both fair, a commitment to fairness, to impartiality, to due process, and also to... Uh, a, a legacy of literature and art and beauty that is almost unmatched. I wonder, um, and this is obviously a speculative question, uh, how much the pandemic has, has uh, had an effect on all of these developments from the unrest to, um, you know, the way the universities are thinking about uh, their, their financial flows because you have a lot of students uh, who are not going back to campus and who are still being asked to pay full tuition. I, I just wonder uh, if that could change some of the mindset here. One hopes, and as far as leaving aside the question of the riot, please don't call it unrest riot, call it riots, call it looting, call it anarchy. Unrest is like what I have every night with restless leg syndrome. Uh, so let's be honest. Um, but addressing the colleges first, it's hilarious because the colleges are the ones that are promoting this therapeutic culture of, of unsafety and wellness initiatives and the, what I call the college woke spa with its massages and, and essential oils and petting dogs and, and uh, aromatherapy. I kid you not. Uh, I wrote about this for the City Journal. Uh, and, and so they're, they've created these hysterical students. So on the one hand, if they followed that wellness ethic, they would all be shutting down, but they are also at the same time greedy capitalist bastards that are desperate for tuition dollars. And they have an entire industry of enrollment managers, both in-house and, 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 and contracted out to try and get as many warm bodies in, in freshman year seats as they can just to get those deposits in their accounts so that they can pay for more $400,000 diversity chancellors. Uh, so they're, they're in a very paradoxical situation of wanting the bodies in and yet, you know, being responsible for the safetyism ideology that is destroying our economy right now. Uh, and one would hope that, that parents would say enough of this. I'm not giving you tuition. But again, speaking just anecdotally, I, I met a, a, a woman this, this summer who has a daughter who was admitted to Pitzer College, one of the Claremont, Claremont Colleges. Uh, and they're all offline, but th she's still paying the sixty or seventy thousand dollar tuition simply because she's not willing to give up that spot uh, because Pitzer is uh, credentializing. So we'll see. I, I think there will be a, sh a shake shakeout at the lower reaches. One hopes because we could we should cut the college student body population by ninety percent. College should be something for the academic elites. It is not a program to learn how to market, to do marketing or sports management. 
colleges have to get back towards a high demand, high intellectual demand uh, uh, set of requirements. So one would hope that it is going to have massive shakedowns, shake out, but I don't know. Uh, these are protein institutions. They have managed to keep tuition climbing way above the rates of inflation. And thanks to student loans, Trump should be doing far more to cut off the, the tap. There, people should, if you pay out of pocket, that would bring some rationality to this. Taxpayers should not be underwriting these grotesquely, obscenely inflated tuitions. Cut it off. Uh, as for the the riots that we've seen, I've that is a very frequent explanation that well, these poor people they've been all quarantined and and uh, and cut off from social interaction. So of course they have to go and loot. I'm not buying it. I do not buy any justification for anarchy. Uh, there's plenty of people who have been put into their stupid, unrealistic, unnecessary coronavirus shutdowns who are not looting. Looting is always a crime of opportunity. Uh, and it is a result, I would argue, far more of the ideology that we're talking about today, Brian, which is the ideology that America is endemically racist. That gives justification. We have seen the op-eds pouring out of the pages of the New York Times, the books in favor, in defense of looting. <clears throat> this is an ideological phenomenon, not an economic one, for sure. We know the economy has nothing to do with crime. The most uh, safe period in American history, the lowest crime was during the Great Depression. The economic recession of 2008, crime continued to drop. Nobody's out there taking pickup trucks and, and bashing into Gucci and Ferragamo because they cannot eat with their $600 a, a, a week uh, unemployment check. That's not what's going on here. What's going on here is hatred and opportunism. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.